Welcome to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss popular and interesting travel industry posts, which either appeared on LinkedIn or maybe in other news sources, and we do this every week. Here, right here on LinkedIn on a Monday. Just a bit of housework. We are recording the session, as it will be made available as a podcast. We do welcome audience participation, so if you have any comments or want to say anything about what we're talking about, just raise your hand. We'll get you on stage. We absolutely love getting people on stage and hearing your side of the story. And so if you're from the press and you want to cover what you hear today, just remember to obtain permission from whoever in this room you wish to quote. Um, my name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I'm the CEO of Agentivity where we provide travel management companies with insight, control, and growth through the effective use of their data. My co-hosts are Anne and Ash, as usual. Guys, thank you for joining me again today. How have you been? Over to you, Anne. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Actually, I should say good morning from New York. So doing very well. I've been on the East Coast all week. Thank you. Um, so I'm Anne Cedarhall. I'm uh, an independent consultant in the travel space, working for both LeapShift and Explore Tech. So happy to be here. Over to Ash. Great. Good morning, everybody. It was really nice to see you, Anne, yesterday for the first time. It was wonderful. We had a great time. I host a weekly podcast called What's Up in Business Travel under Business Travel 360, and I'm also the vice president of Traxo. Thank you very much, both. I saw your picture you sent me, Anne, and it was looked wonderful, you and Ash uh, having the barbecue there. Next time, it's all three of us, so let's try for that. Yes, we are looking forward to that. It was great catching up in person. There's nothing like meeting up in person again, isn't it? That's right. I mean, it reminds you how, how powerful travel is, right? I did that post this weekend after spending the, the evening in Venice at a very nice place, and just saying it just invoke all your senses, right? It's just so powerful. You know, we should be uh, mindful of that when we sell it to people. Right. You know, it's uh, it's quite interesting how this whole thing works. Yesterday, I met Anne for the first time. We've been talking to each other for years. And, you know, when you finally meet, it's like it just kind of just continues right where you left off. It's the most amazing phenomena. But meeting somebody in person feels just right. It feels perfect. I love it. I mean, my first post last week was about, um, it was actually one from Pedro Castro. Once again, it's the second time in, uh, in two weeks that he managed to get on my list. He talked about Ryanair and how they very cleverly, or I would say Michael O'Leary, very cleverly did something where, you know, I think about two weeks ago, he announced this is the end of the cheap airfares, right? There will never be 10, 10 pound seats or 10 euro seats ever again. It's gone. Only two, two weeks later, announce a massive seat sale. And so Pedro's post about this was just about how they got all that coverage for pretty much nothing, really. I mean, they would have had to, to get that sort of visibility in front of an audience. They would have had to spend some serious money. And that was what his story was about. And I'm not a big fan of Ryanair, but I have to say, you have to give it to them. They know how to get the best out of um, coverage, right? Uh, good or bad, they, they always make the best of it. They do indeed. You really have to hand it to them. It's uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, just uh, you know how to be talked about in in the press, and then of course to attach a, a, a large campaign to that is brilliant as well. But I really admire Ryanair. I think that everything they're doing retail wise is phenomenal. They clearly have a very good strategy and path. I do like the website and all their whole digital platform. So kudos to them. But you get a seat assignment, right? So unlike those American Airlines who wants to fly. <laughs> Southwest. Southwest Airlines. And by the way, they're an interesting story this week. If we have time, I'll bring it up at the end. For me here in the US, you know, listening about Ryanair, I can't help but just think about airlines like Spirit and Frontier and all these 
others that are out there. But Ryanair does know how to take their advertising spend to zero. And they do it in a very peculiar way, but it works for them. And it's a really interesting phenomenon. So the part that I thought that was interesting was how this story related to Britney Spears. Uh, so what's the relationship there? Just that he did it again? Yeah. That's the relationship. Pedro was okay. having a bit of fun there with, oops, <laughs> I did it again. And then when Pedro's story landed in my feed for the second time in two weeks, he said, oops, I did it again as well. So that's it, really. He was just having a bit of fun. <laughs> so nothing to do with um, with Michael Leary's parents no. uh, controlling him and, and anything like that? Okay. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Kudos to Ryanair there for getting that right. <laughs> My second story was uh, just mentioning really about ATP Co and Southwest. They basically uh, signed a, a bigger agreement for getting um, more more fares out via Rootappy and a few other of the newer ATP Co products. The reason why I added that story to the list was it's contrary to what most of the other major airlines are doing, you know, moving away from GDS distribution, moving away from ATP Co, etc. And there is Southwest investing in that space. I'm sure that's not cheap what they've done there. There's a lot of investment there, but they must have a lot of faith in that channel to to get them some business. And what were you your thoughts on that one? I'm all for standards, and I'm all for uh, root happy and and finding a way to work in you know the same way for airlines. What I have kept hearing is that that it is quite expensive. So for me, the key part here is the express contracts. Essentially, what is happening here is that people are going to be able to have a relationship. When I say people, I mean companies will be able to have a relationship with Southwest Airlines. And because of this relationship being on what they call express contracts, the ability for Southwest to have a more direct relationship with these corporations, which they already do, but now they have it in a really realistic format, which allows them to be able to maximize opportunities and to control uh, how revenue management handles those uh, relationships. In today's day, you're talking about paperwork, you're talking about back and forth, you're talking about taking time. Everything is manual in this process, right? And uh, until the client doesn't talk to you about the contracts and you don't see them face to face in some cases, these contracts get delayed by like 180 days in some cases. So with express contracts, you know, with one push of a button, they're able to immediately see a relationship uh, change between themselves and a corporate client. And now revenue management has something to play with and really work on. So I think this is, uh, again, genius on Southwest's part. Obviously, you know, Route Happy is just a nice add-on, but I think the key thing here is uh, the express contracts. Thank you for that insight, Ash. I mean, you always add a very interesting side to that story, but that's very true. Uh, Rian, you know, the other thing about this that really got me interested was the fact that in a recent interview with Dave Harvey, they asked him the question. His big deal was that, you know, they can have a client sign an agreement and the fares are loaded and ready to go the same day. I don't know anybody who can do that in today's <laughs> world. Uh, so that to me is cutting edge. Yes, that's fantastic. <laughs> My next story was just mentioning that, you know, we are seeing around the world newer routes reopening and airlines going back to routes that we, you know, always been you know, seeing them fly, etc. But one in particular caught my attention, which was Manchester, Beijing. It's being reopened by um, Hainan Airlines. I don't know too much about them. It's only a weekly flight once a week with an A330. But I just thought I'd add that to my list of interesting stories to note because, you know, that routing to China has been has been impacting a lot of businesses and a lot of um people being unable to travel, you know, on those routes, etc. So that route reopening was just interesting to me. 
you know, it's interesting, this thing with the, I think the Chinese airlines increasing their presence. And of course, they are, of course, traveling the route over Russia. So there they have an advantage. It is faster. But it's, I mean, they're obviously increasing uh, their footprint in Europe. Yeah, I think we're entering the final phase of the pandemic being over from an air travel perspective. Asia has been the last area that still needs to needs to recover. I mean, we saw the European recovery uh, last several months now. And North America, of course, had recovered before that. So now you see Asia recovering. And I think that this is all next step into the, the global aviation coming back to some sort of a norm where you don't have to think about whether flights are available. It's just about frequency now. The other day, Singapore Airlines also made some announcements. So you see Asian airlines starting to really get back to some sort of a regular and, and normal scenario. Again, they're about nine to 12 months behind everybody else, but it's a good step. My next story was a bit of a horror one. I saw this actually on the BBC News. I did not see so much of it on LinkedIn, which is interesting, but it, it related to Eurotunnel and uh, about one of its passenger trains breaking down and people having to walk in that very horrific um, tunnel in the middle, the sort of emergency tunnel, which was dark and bleak and cold and there were people panicking. It wasn't very nice, but they obviously had to get them onto another train, get them back out to the main station, get the other train out and get them reunited with their luggage. So there were major delays as well. Apparently, it's a, it's a fairly common occurrence in some of the other trains, the freight trains and the, the ones carrying the, the trucks, but not so, so much on the passenger trains. But yeah, that was just an interesting story for me to see. I've traveled, obviously, on that route a few times. I never thought that the train might break down underwater. So uh, I think for, for many people, that would be quite frightening. I've actually never traveled on it, embarrassingly. I would love to. That's actually something I think about quite often when I go in these tunnels. Yeah, that, that is such a revelation. <laughs> I, was, I, that, I think that's worthy of post. And Cedar has never traveled on Eurostar. I, think yeah. I know. I was going to say that that doesn't seem right. Something is wrong with this story. I know something is missing yeah. in my life. Wow. I have to travel on the Eurostar. Wow. I was like, oh my God, no way. Like This is my ne- worst nightmare, I think. Underwater in a tunnel, you know, thirty. You know th- that tunnel is thirty-one miles and long. It's, it's about a hundred years old, probably as well. No, yeah, like... well, thirty-one miles, and if you get stuck, you know, in mile number fifteen, which is the halfway point. By the way, which way did they go? Did they wow. walk in the direction what? in which they came from, yeah. or are they walking in the direction of where they're going? So, so there are two tunnels, and in between, there's a um, there's an emergency tunnel. Oh, they boarded another train. That's okay, right, yeah. so it's not like they walked all the way to the end of the tunnel and got up on the other side. No, as far as I know, not so. Okay, so that's not so bad. But n- nonetheless, you're underneath water. I mean, you know, to put in perspective, the Brooklyn Bridge is one mile, and this thing is 31 miles. So being underwater for 31 miles is super, super crazy. I've done this ride several times, and every time I do it, I don't want to think about it. I just kind of start to do something else just to get my mind off of this whole thing. And there's no way, I mean, if I had to do this, I would probably never be in the tunnel ever again in my entire life. Like, that would have been it. I do think there were people there that that happened too, because, again, they had stories of people really, you know, panicking, etc. Yeah, I I would be one of those people. I'd be panicking too. Claudia, thank you for joining us. Do you want to do a quick introduction and add your comments to the story? Yes, it's just uh, Claudia uh, Unger. I've been in, in corporate travel for a number of years, and I'm so glad that I've come across your podcast. So thank you for, for doing that. I just wanted to say, Ash, um, they were actually, it doesn't sound so bad because they joined another train, but they were in that situation for over five hours. 
Uh, I travel regularly on the Channel Tunnel and I have my dogs with me. I don't even know how I could compute that. I'm just actually booking my next trip. <laughs> I'm slightly nauseous about that. But the alternative is, of course, the ferry, which is even worse for, for dog travel anyway. This is a story I really like, and this is about the success that um, Visa, the actual company, had with implementing an NDC sort of mix of solutions with their corporate travel agent, which is Carlson Wagon Lee, and the travel manager there, uh, Kim Hamer, who, who ran with that and, and delivered this. And she was honored with um, some rewards, you know, quite rightfully, because, um, you know, this was a major story to pull out of the hat. And the reason why I celebrate the story is, to me, this is where, this is what I said, this is what NDC should be all about. This is about working for the customer, um, working for the suppliers, keeping the agent involved. Everybody here is benefiting, um, especially the end customer. And um, it's just such a nice story to read. And isn't this, don't we want to see more of these type of stories, right? Oh, yes, we do. This is what we want to see. And uh, like you said, this is like you and I always say, what is the purpose? What is the end goal? Why NDC? You know, what's in it for me? What's in it for you? And yes, so we do want to see more stories like these. It was a very, very long story. And I was trying to uh, get the, what are the main elements of change here? And from what I can understand, it's really all about a certain level of personalization, right? And also, of course, improvements on the payment side. But I mean, every step in the right direction is a good step, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it had a lot to do with the personalization and the extra mm. privileges available to the traveler and the ancillaries they could get, etc. Ash, did you did you read into the story? Yeah, I did. Actually, at uh, GBTA, the BTN uh, award happens uh, in at the GBTA conference. And so Kim received this uh, 2022 Travel Manager of the Year Award during GBTA. So it was a pretty big story, you know, coming out of San Diego. And this whole thing is really about bringing in this NDC content to all the spots that a traveler would be in, right? So for example, the online booking tool where in this case, they use Circo. So Circo was able to bring in the NDC content uh, of uh, United Airlines. And then, of course, if they travel, wanted to book on the phone with their agency, uh, with CWT, then they were able to also access NDC content. So it was about making the content available in all the spots that you would expect it to be. Uh, and I think that's kind of what the whole success of this uh, story is uh, is based on. So you don't see a difference of not of having content here and having content there. It's all streamlined. It's all available in both places. Uh, so the traveler can consume uh, the actual content uh, regardless. You know, travelers don't really think about it as NDC content. I know we talk about it as NDC content, right? But for a traveler, it's just being able to do something that they can do on the airline website. Absolutely. And so it should be. They shouldn't even know where the content comes from. Um, it's omni-channel. Exactly. They should be you know, booking the content they want and getting on with it and getting it service. That's actually one of the things, you know, we and, we and I always point out when we talk about NDC, it should, yeah, you know, why even call it NDC? It should really be an extension of your airline website. And that is the end goal, isn't it? To be able to offer everything in the same seamless and simple fashion as you can do on your website. Then again, we know that 85% of the world's airlines are unhappy uh, with their websites and digital platforms, but that's another problem, an issue, isn't it? <laughs> it's another problem. <laughs> yes. 
I'm curious about the details of that personally. Like, I want to know how do you line item it in a GDS format or are they bypassing it? It seems like they're not bypassing it. It seems like it's going to the agency. It's going to the ability for an agent to know that this traveler bought this component of the trip online, in this case, Circo. And now they're, they need to be able to know what that item was and to be able to service that item. So should a traveler call and say, hey, I need help on this, the agent should know that, okay, this these are the components. And and so no component of that trip that the travel purchase should be, be eliminated from that view of the agent, right? So that's the difficult part. And I'm curious about how that's playing out. Does this story make you feel like, okay, you know, we're going in the right direction? Are you satisfied with the this, direction of this? This story is not only going in the right direction. This is the story. I mean, this is the result okay. we want because, again, it comes back to the end consumer, the traveler, can choose content from whatever. It doesn't matter to them where it comes from, and it's serviced by whomever. And that is the, that's the effect we want. And that's the only criticism I have always when it comes to NDC and the stories, right, is that they're never really explained in a practical way. This is what we do. You know, we use Circo as the main uh, point of entry. That's why all of this works technically. <clears throat> and, and this is how we source content uh, from, let's say, the GDS or whatever, or how we add content to it. I just I wish we could just see more of that, how it really works. I'm going to move on to um, an interesting uh, little post that was done by Harvey, Harvey Lyons. He was talking about the fact that Dubai Airport was named the busiest airport in August. I don't know how they managed to measure that because we're still in August as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, I suppose they've done the numbers and they can see that uh, nobody else is going to overtake them. And he was saying how smooth everything operates there. He was on a packed flight from Manchester. His bag arrived. There was no issues. You know, nobody is, um, there's no There's no bags standing around. No bags are being lost. And he was just saying there's Heathrow in Amsterdam putting caps on travelers um, and still not coping with all of that. And he was saying maybe they could learn a few lessons from these guys. And uh, I agreed with him. I thought that was a great story. Yeah, the lesson is that if you don't show up to work, you're not going to get another day at the job, I think. (laughs) That's the big difference, right? I mean, in countries like the UK, people can actually say, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on strike and I don't want to work and, you know, all that other stuff. But you probably can't do that. But, but, but Ash, the, the reality is, you know, the, the guys in, um, I mean, in the UK, that's not what's been happening. I mean, there's just not enough people and they, they didn't, they didn't reinstate the post that they let go during the pandemic and all that stuff. I mean, of course, everybody's blaming everybody yeah. else. That's the part of the strange view the most. There's still not, uh, between Heathrow and Amsterdam, somebody standing up and saying, Hey, uh, let's work on this together, etc." But, um, I thought Harvey was spot on there by saying they could learn a few lessons because, um, you know, it just doesn't happen there. Well, Anne landed at JFK, and she had no issue with her bags, and she went through immigration pretty smoothly. Anne, didn't you? Well, I landed at Newark, but I was actually <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually remarkably out of the airport in twenty minutes. See, I and that was an international it. flight. Can you? That was that? an international flight that I was out yeah. in twenty minutes. Yeah, at probably Newark not airport. checking anybody's um, immigration status anymore. That's <laughs> and you checked maybe. in your you checked in your bag, Anne. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Wow, well, very nice. Yeah, so of course there are there are airports that are, are you managing a, quite well. Are you allowed to tell us which airline you flew? I did fly Scandinavian Airlines. Okay. Yes. Wow. Uh, and, well, I must. I must. Um, I've actually been been using points, and I was in in business class, so uh, and I have a gold status. But um, 
Um, so my bag came up, you know, very quickly. It was one of the first bags, and I think it was the first bag on the belt. That's, you know, it's always better when you fly in premium cabins, you know. Oh, yes, of course it is. Everything, the bags come out faster, go through the lines quicker, your drinks taste better, the air is, is cleaner in the front, you know, like everything is just less, there's less COVID in the front of the plane versus the back of the plane. It's just perfect. I, I have no comment. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> But, you know, actually, going back to your story, Rian, you know, the I never thought of Dubai as a busy airport, but I guess they are. Well, they, are manage, they? they manage it well, so you, you don't see it. I mean, it's, it's, oh. it's you know, the volume is immense, and, and but the scale of things and the scale at which they can operate is, is, is very, very impressive. I'll tell you what is the other big difference there, Ash. I mean, they don't take 30, 40 years to decide whether they should build a third runway, right? They will just go ahead and build it. That's yeah. it, yeah. So there you go. That's one of the big yeah. differences there. The next story was about Google and them making some major changes to the way they calculate carbon emissions on flights. Um, lots of controversy. Controversial. Yes, very controversial. And um, I like the post from Beth Dooley from Thrust. She produced a nice graphic that compared the before and after results. Um, and that's very. It was very revealing to see that change. Um, so I think this story pinged right around the world, right? Ash, it, it landed with you guys as well in the states, and it was uh, probably talked about quite a bit. Yeah, this is a pretty big deal, and of course, all the anti-climate change people were all over this because they were like, "Oh, this is proof that this is all a bunch of hogwash," and all that stuff started happening. So we had a quite a bit of circulation in the story, but it is quite a significant difference. You're talking about 50% less as far as their calculation is concerned. So, of course, the folks that are seeing this and they're pro-climate change or they're, they're supporting that vision, they, of course, were mad because they were saying that Google is trying to minimize the impact of CO2 on air travel and therefore making everybody think that it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. But at the end of the day, air travel contributes only 3% to the global numbers. It's like, what are we really talking about? We're talking about 3%. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody with a different view on that. And uh, what do you think of that story? Very much um, what, what Ash was, was commenting here. I mean, it is, we clearly have two sides in, in the world. But, but again, I think that we just need more transparency and information. I think the other article you're referring to as well comes down to to that, which I keep reiterating when it comes to airlines, that you can't just go on carbon offsetting and not explain to people what happens or what they really do do. I do think it's interesting because I, I thought the number was 2% for airlines of the carbon emissions and not 3%, but of course, you know, then that uh, doesn't really matter. It's uh, quite a low number when you compare to, I know that there is uh, one industry, one company alone in Sweden that represents 33% of the t- total carbon emissions. So you would have thought that, you know, it's a good idea to actually do something about that company, right? That industry. And uh, and it's also something else that I've been thinking about. I heard that Norway, for example, they don't actually take all the forestry into account in the computations. And if they actually did, they wouldn't. They would be actually on minus. They have so much forest that it actually compensates. It's all. All this is fascinating, and sometimes I feel it's way beyond my 
our intellectual capacity. But again, I, I think what's really important is that you see our real numbers and also real effort. And what does it do at the end of the day? That's what really matters. Yeah. And, and it's not going to help. I mean, we, we recognize that air travel obviously contributes to to this you know, mm. issue. But like you say, if the, if the consumer doesn't feel confident about what the airline is telling them about the emissions or what they should be offsetting, mm-hmm. that's not going to help at all. And, and you know, my next story was related to that. Is John Oliver hosting a, a segment where he, he made a bit of fun about all the airlines and carbon offsetting, et cetera. Again, that's not going to help because we do recognize we need to be responsible, et cetera. So give us a real number, which is, you know, easily understandable yes. and, and makes sense right yes. that you can that you can talk about and, and draw a, a correlation to so i'm afraid um you know that change plus you know some of these other stories it's it's going to take us back a few steps is my view on it um which is a shame why doesn't everybody just manage their own business and and solve their own problems why are they making it everybody else's problem you're an airline you put out co2 please take care of your business why do I have, as your consumer, have to now think about your mm-hmm. problems and your CO2 and your this and your that? You're taking X dollars from me in that process, figure out what you need to do and solve mm-hmm. for it. Yes, I agree. Right. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And if you think that it's too much CO2 and we're not going to be able to save the earth, then eliminate the route or change the aircraft or fix the engine. So whatever you have to do to make it happen. But why is everything going right back to the consumer? Do we really need to know all this? I couldn't say it any better. I totally agree with you. I think I pay a price, you know, I pay something to the airline. It is the airline's responsibility to do something about its carbon emissions, right? And work on new technology or, like you say, uh, maybe change um, routes or um, propagate you know, direct routes or try to, you know, why have, to me, it almost feels like carbon offset has become a product and I dislike it very much. Yeah, yeah. No, very well said as well. And should not be a product at all. Absolutely. And soon it'll become a tax. Yes. What are we, what are we going to call it? YZ, the YZ tax in the GDS? <laughs> you know? We ran out of letters, so now we're at the YZ tax I, level. I, d- I don't even think that there are enough tax coded codes left, actually. That's so right. might struggle with that Spaces. one. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the thumbs up there from uh, Mohit and Claudia. As most people know, Southwest does not assign seats. And what they do instead is that they actually let you board based on groups. So you have the A group, the B group, the C group, and then, you know, there's no seat assignments and you just board the plane based on your group. So within groups just, are actually numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you then sit where you want? Is that, is that the. You sit whatever you want. Yeah. Uh-huh. You just get on the plane and wherever you want to sit, you sit. Very strange. Uh, okay. So think of like a bus, right? You get on a bus and, you know, every seat's available. You just sit wherever you want. So. You know, if you see somebody that's sitting and you think that you want to sit next to them, you sit next to them. So it's it's kind of interesting from that perspective. And uh, so Southwest has just announced, and this is the story, that they are going to give their travelers the ability to digitally upgrade, and this is key, the digital aspect of it, to upgrade their boarding on select itineraries. And of course, they're going to pull, you know, play this out everywhere. And so for $30 per flight, you're able to secure the A group boarding position, and not only the A group, but the prestige level of the A group, which is the A1 through A15 boarding position. So you can do this all on their app, beginning 24 hours before the flight, 
And up to 30 minutes before that flight, you can upgrade yourself to the A1 through A15 position. Now, keep in mind that if you have a business select fare, which is it's all economy, but they call it business select, you get this position automatically. But if you're flying on the cheaper fare types, the anytime want to get away or the want to get away plus fare, you can now upgrade yourself on this digitally uh, upgraded boarding service that they've now offered. I was going to ask you, how did you get it anyway? Now, do you don't think it's going to annoy those people who paid more to get into that select group and now anybody else can just join as well? Well, if they paid more, then they paid it because they they like that. But, I mean, there's other benefits to that. So, you know, you get uh, a drink a oh. coupon for the flight. And so there's other benefits. So people who buy business, business select are not going to get upset that okay. it's kind of like saying, there's a person who buys a business fair. Do they get up, uh, you know, upset if somebody gets an upgrade? Yes. Yeah, fair enough. It sounds like a great plan. I mean, it's something that I'll probably do just to get my seats. Well, the preferred seat, right? You still don't get a seat, but you can at least pick one quicker, which is probably better. This is another uh, layer of ancillary revenue for Southwest Airlines. I think it's a, you know, I always say experiment, 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 always try and see what works, what could work in a, in a better way. And I think that Southwest excel at that. They're extremely good at it and always have been. Uh, so, so are you saying that technically I, if I buy business elites or whatever, uh, I cannot actually decide that I want to A? No, if you buy business select fair uh, type, then you get the A1 yeah. through A15. Uh, oh, right. I just get a, a group. Yeah. I cannot yeah. secure that I have to, you know, so so literally if I don't sort of knock over the 14 people ahead of me or whatever, uh, uh, I, I can't, well, uh, I probably can get secure a window seat. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. With A, with yeah. A you, yeah. you can do pretty much do anything you want. Do anything you want. I've uh, I actually, since I traveled on Amtrak for the first time, believe it or not, first time on Amtrak in the US, uh, I was quite astonished that in economy, uh, so they have a, you know, one business car uh, where you can actually buy a seat, but the rest of the train, which can be very, very, very long, there is no seating. And I was, I was quite appalled at how it was very badly, very poorly organized. And, you know, people all over the cars um, trying to find seats. And um, wh- why not just organize it better uh, if it's, you, It is interesting, you know, now because, you know, Ash was saying, you know, like a bus or like a train, I mean, in, in Europe, you get seats for those things. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite normal. But the other the most revealing thing here, Ash, is that it sounds to us like um, Anne is not a big train travel fan, is she? No, no, she's she's a, she's an elite flyer, is what she is, business class and all that other stuff. Oh, but but, but Anne, uh, but Anne, you know, this is exactly why Americans don't embrace rail as often, right? I mean, you, we always talk about rail in America, and it's always a you know, oh, we should have more rail and all that stuff. But we love it when we travel to other countries, and you know, you get assignments, and so it feels so elegant. You know, a simple thing like a seat assignment makes people feel important, right? And so when we take, you know, trains in Europe, we, you know, it's always nicely organized. It's very perfectly done. You know, what car you're going to go into and, you know, you know where your seat's going to be and you can see it on the map and everything else in advance. And so that level of sophistication is definitely not in the U.S. Yeah. And I found it remarkable that there wasn't even a level of sophistication of, you know, the, the messaging on board saying that, Oh, it's, it would be so simple to say we have lots of space in, in car two or, 
you know, in car five. Why not even do that? It was very poorly organised, I must yeah, say. Because Sorry I, to say. I, no, I have to say, the newer East Anglia trains on the on the east coast of England, they do exactly that. They've got a, a graphic on at, 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 in every uh, coach showing you where there's fewer people. And I thought that's so nice, such a nice touch. Do we have 30 seconds for another story, Rian? I have one real quick. Let's do it. So we talked about this in the previous uh, episodes uh, about how airlines are phasing out first class. Remember when we talked about Boom Supersonic? This came into view uh, and I made a comment about that. Well, this week there's a story that American Airlines is phasing out the flagship first class uh, section of their planes. They're the last major U.S. airline that still offers true first class cabin on its domestic and international flights. United and Delta have eliminated first-class service and they only have business. So now America has also decided that they're going to go business-only product and eliminate the first class. I, I saw that and I, I thought about time, right? I mean, I, I don't think there's major crocodile tears about mm. this or, or are you sad about seeing that go, Ash? No, I'm actually thinking that the new first class will be Boom Supersonic. There we go. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that one. Yes. So um, in that case, I just want to say thank you for those listening. And to you, Anne, thank you very much for joining me from for us from the from the States in your travels. And Ash, thank you to you as well. Um, we do this weekly. Ash will wrap up and tell us about the, the podcast and where you could find it. Um, thank you for those attending. Thank you so much, uh, everyone. And I hand over to Ash. Thank you all for joining. Please, please tell everybody that you know about this weekly session. I think if you enjoyed it, then chances are that somebody else will also enjoy it. And as always, we make this session available on our podcast at Business Travel 360. So if you are missing this session because of time zone or if you're missing the session because you got busy but still want to catch up, uh, you can always access this uh, recording on businesstravel360.com or on any of your favorite podcast directories. So Thank you again for joining, and this is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. Mm-hmm.